1: Welcome back to 4 to 6 with A&B, your Ohio State podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is Bill Landis, joined by Ari Wasserman. Ari, how are things in Dallas? Um, I was just telling you before the show how much I miss being around you.
0: Um, Texas has that effect awesome. on people. Texas is awesome, but you're in Ohio, so um, I'm, I'm homesick for Ohio right now. Can I be homesick for a place that was my home, but
1: I don't live there anymore, but I didn't grow up there? Yeah, like it's not really your home, right? What is your home? I guess home is what you make it, right? All right, let's explore that a little bit. What is home? No, let's not do that. That'd be a home <laughs> is a three hundred mile radius
0: that's... around the the college campus that you uh, grew up from.
1: There you go. There you go. <laughs> Six hour drive in any direction is home. <laughs> and if you don't recruit there, you're not doing your job. We're back, back into it. Okay, uh, we're a little over a week removed from the start of Ohio State spring practice. We are going to talk some recruiting on the show. We're gonna. Pull a question from our Gmail account. Again, that's 426AB at gmail.com. This one uh, is really a fascinating question about the quarterbacks. And we actually got a a second question that came in more recently that kind of touches on the same thing. So I think there's an interesting discussion to be had there. But first, a little bit of news as it pertains to your Ohio State Buckeyes. Uh, Ohio State on Tuesday announced that it was shutting down football activities for the week and closing uh, the football side of the Woody Hayes Athletic Center due to an increase of in positive coronavirus tests from around the testing on Monday. Spring ball is still scheduled to start on the 19th. I don't really have any reason to believe that that won't happen, um, and I think this was done, you know, as they say, out of abundance of caution, but but I like truly think that's the case with this. I think they probably could have worked around it and done some workouts if they wanted to. So, Ari, big deal, medium deal, small deal that Ohio State had to shut down this week.
0: March 2020 huge deal. Uh March 2021 not a big deal at all. I think it's something that you just kind of have to learn to live with and it's something that they had to live with through an entire football season. They had games canceled, they've had players sick and you know, putting yourself in a position to want to get into spring football as healthy as possible. Obviously of of course the uh mitigation of potential spread to anybody that uh, you can prevent that happening, too, is important, but I don't know that, you know, there's no games for seven months now, and there's a vaccine out, and, you know, I, I think that being cautious is the right thing to do, and uh, other than that, I don't know why this would be a big, big deal.
1: I don't think it's a big, big deal. I think there is frustration, um, pro- like certainly with the program that they've had to stop, uh, because they... I I think at a certain point, once you kind of get rolling a little bit, you almost feel like it's it's behind you, and and it's not. But I think we're getting closer to that. Um, but I think there's frustration born out of the idea that like this isn't happening again. This isn't happening, and and although I think Kentucky might have just got shut down, but for the most part, it hadn't been happening in the SEC, and the ACC, and the Big Twelve, and like those ads are talking about full stadiums in the fall. And like, meanwhile, this happens in the Big Ten and the Big Ten's like pumping the brakes a little bit on full stadiums in the fall. And I think there's just like, again, that comparison between what's happening in this conference and what's happening in in the other major conferences. That's that's drawing the ire of people a little bit, which I guess makes sense. And if you're upset that like Ohio State is losing a week of preparation, that's super important because they didn't get any last year. I suppose that's true, but. In normal times, they'd be off right now anyway. They'd be on spring break. So, like, when Ohio State in the past has had spring practice, practice for a week, took off for a week, and then came back for the remainder of spring practice, like, no one cared. So I wouldn't get too upset about them missing this week. Yeah,
0: I mean, there's two issues here. One is, is it annoying because you want corona to be over and it's starting to feel like we're getting to a point where it could be over, and then this is a reminder that it's not over? Or are you annoyed because you think that this is going to – hinder Ohio state from competing for a national title this year. And I think that those are two separate arguments <laughs> and one's relevant and one's not, not that your feelings aren't relevant. We care about your feelings, but in terms of whether or not this is going to hinder Ohio state in the long term, I don't know that that's, that's necessarily even a discussion. And spring football has always kind of been the, what you make it right. You you can choose your own schedule. You have X amount of days to have X amount of practices and you can do what you can do. So my understanding or my assumption is that Ohio State, despite this, will still get as many hours of work in as everybody else that they're permitted to get based on the rules of spring football. Am I understanding that correctly?
1: Yeah. I mean, I they get I 15 practices, and that includes the spring games. And and I, like if this bleeds over into them not starting spring practice on time or having to shorten spring practice or they get disrupted in the middle of spring practice, it's a different conversation. Right, but right now... I, I think they're going to get their 15 spring practices, or at least they're going to start and try to. So and I guess we can cross that bridge if we get to it, but I'm not totally sure we will. Um, plus, they have, I, I think that's part of why maybe they did this and maybe why they were overly cautious, because they knew that the start of spring practice was around the corner, and if they could, like, nip this in the bud, that would be good for them. Plus, like, Pro Day is on March 30th, so, like, that's around a corner too and you can't have your facility shut down for Pro Day. Um, so I think they're going to be okay. It's like It sucks that this happened. Um, feel bad for for the program, I guess, on some level that they have to shut it down. And you obviously hope that everyone, whoever tests a positive, uh, remains healthy. Um, but long term, I think they're fine. Yeah, the number one thing is, A, are people healthy? You know, and
0: I don't want to minimize the importance of every individual who catches the coronavirus or is exposed to coronavirus and what that means. But in terms of what it means from a high level, 1,000 foot view down on the football program, I find it to be pretty minuscule.
1: Yeah, so all right, we'll move on from that. I know like that's a bummer for people, but like it's news, so we had to, to touch on it off the top of the episode. Hopefully, that wasn't too much, and, and you stayed with us. All right, let's talk about recruiting. You know, you're okay about recruiting, right?
0: Yeah, uh, it's you're into it. I think it's kind of subjective, and you know, stars don't really <laughs> translate into. I mean, JJ Watt was a two star, and he was. You know, <laughs> it's it's fun to track in the off season when there's no games, but you know. Grand scheme of things, I don't. Once you get on the field, once you get on the field, it doesn't
1: really matter. Yeah, once you're in between the two, (laughs) the white lines, it's it becomes irrelevant. Talent accumulation is way down the list of things that are important once you get between those lines. Okay, Uh, this was the jumping off point for this, Uh, and this is uh, like this is a guy like I wrote about and like I tweeted about a few times, and then like somebody made a joke about how like all I do is talk about this guy, and I'm like, it's not what I'm trying to do, but he was like the impetus for me thinking these things. Drew Aller, quarterback from Medina, Ohio, Northeast Ohio uh south of Cleveland, I think it is, Um, committed to Penn State this week. A little bit surprising. I thought he'd wait. He's a four-star quarterback. He is now the number nine player in the state of Ohio. He spent most of last year as a kid ranked in like the 400s or the 500s nationally, and he's really taken off. He's he's considered by a lot of people to be one of the, the better quarterbacks in this class, certainly one of the fastest rising players in the country. Didn't have an Ohio State offer because Ohio State has Quinn Ewers, but he committed to Penn State. So Drew commits, and then I go and look at the top – 10 prospects in the class of 2022 in the state of Ohio. And there are uh, there are 11 top 300 players, and really a dozen if you count Elijah Brown from Wayne, the tight end. He's number 303. So there are basically a dozen top 300 players in the state of Ohio in this recruiting class, which is pretty good. Um, and Ohio State at the moment has one, two, three, four of them. Probably going to get five of them. Um, and it wasn't an issue of me thinking, like, well, that's not enough for Ohio State. Because I think... I don't know. I guess I'll just ask you this. Like, you, How Ohio State is recruiting the state of Ohio right now? Do you feel good about it?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think the days of programs like Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, and maybe Georgia to a lesser extent because Atlanta is such a key part of what they do, um, the in-state recruiting thing is becoming less and less important as you go. Because Ohio State now um, even more so than year three or four of Urban Meyer's tenure can walk into any high school in America and get into a top five instantaneously without even doing anything. And I think in a, in a world where you're trying to win a national championship and beat Alabama, um, of course you go after yours instead of the in-state top 10 quarterback Of course you go after Caleb Burton instead of the in-state Caden Saunders from Ohio. This is what you have to do because if there's somebody better that you can get, geography is secondary now. And not every program in college football has the luxury of saying that because not every program in college football can go out and always get somebody better than home. And most of the time when people miss on in-state prospects, they go out and get somebody worse. So Ohio State is one of the three or four programs in the country where I feel like in-state geography isn't necessarily applying to them as much as I would give Penn State, for instance, crap for only signing one of the top ten players in Pennsylvania last year because Penn State's not going and getting Quinn Ewers. They're not getting five-star receivers from from Seattle. You know, it's a completely different game. Now, I know that there's a school of thought that will always be there where – Ohio kids grow up loving Ohio State, know what it means to be a Buckeye, and bring that that feel into your program. And I think to a certain extent that that's important. But I don't know that you need 12 guys out of Ohio in every class to get that. I think four or five is enough as long as they are doing it, uh, what they're doing nationally and getting better players from afar. Now, what we're going to get into, I think, is what happens when Ohio doesn't take those players and Ohio State doesn't take those players, excuse me. And you have kids like Drew Alar who are now going to Penn State that would have been going to Ohio State had his recruitment happened 15 years ago. And if he turns out to be an all-Big Ten player, then Ohio State going to get Quinn Ewers not only helps Ohio State from a talent standpoint because he's one of the highest-rated prospects in the history of recruiting rankings, but it indirectly now has aided Penn State who is uh, a rival who – hasn't really had a quarterback to the standard that they need to win the Big Ten. And it's just like, even if Ewers is John Elway, if Alar is really, really good, Penn State is much better off for this. Like, And I feel like the question is, if you're Penn State, will you take this trade any day? Like, let Ohio State go get the number one player in the class from Texas if you can go get the quarterback from there? Because they're not getting Ewers anyway. It's almost like working out for Penn State. It's working out for Ohio State, too, because they got the guy that they wanted. But now you have Ohio State who is holding on to the number one player in the country in the state of Texas who's going to be recruited by everybody until December while quietly Penn State's come into Ohio State's backyard and taken a really, really good player that Ohio State could have had if they wanted. And it's just like this never-ending discussion of how do you form your board? How do you morph it? What's the sweet spot of Ohio players? And I I really don't know that there is a number. I think every year it's in flux based on – how many top 150 players are on your state? Like top 300 players, like you said, 12 is good. But top 300 players isn't Ohio State's interested in. They're interested in top 150 players. So I don't think that they're doing anything wrong, but I think there is a peril to recruiting nationally, and that peril is, is letting these in-state players go to some of these other Big Ten programs. And for a while there, they weren't going to other Big Ten programs. So it was going great for Ohio State. They were going to Kentucky. Some were going to Cincinnati. Um, these are the types of players that Penn State and Michigan have to be capitalizing on because they're really, really good. And I would say that you could make the argument that Drew Alar is an Ohio State caliber player. They just didn't have room for him because they got the best possible player at that position. And it's just like, that is recruiting perfection from Penn State, in my opinion. So far, I think they've got six commitments from top 10 players in Pennsylvania, which is a heck of a lot better than they did last year. And they've got two top 200 players, I think, from Ohio. And it's like that, recognizing Ohio State has Caleb Burton and Quinn Ewers out of Texas committed, so they go get the top two players at those positions in Ohio is, I think, brilliant.
2: Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24 7 U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep.
1: Yeah, it's interesting with Aller or Aller too, um, because he was not on, as far as I know, and I talked with Drew like two or three weeks ago. Um, Penn State was was not on his radar before Mike Yersich, former Ohio State offensive coordinator, got hired there. They actually ha- already had another quarterback commitment who was recruited by Kirk Soraka, the, the old offensive coordinator. And then Drew was one of the first players that Yersich offered. When he got to Penn State and I asked if there was like any kind of relationship from when your was here at Ohio State and Drew said uh, like kind of not really. I think they, they were familiar with each other, but he wasn't being recruited to Ohio State back then. He's only been playing quarterback for three or four years, which is kind of remarkable. Um, you're right. There are there are there are two places that I wanted to go with this. And one is the thing that you said is is what happens when Ohio State doesn't take some of these guys. And, and I think maybe that is most urgent at the moment because, you know, a really good quarterback who I agree is good enough to play at Ohio State if Ohio State wanted him, is now going to Penn State. Um, And as part of this, I think it is important to acknowledge that, you know, Ohio State picks and chooses its spots pretty well, I think, in the state of Ohio. And it's been very rare that they've lost a battle in Ohio. Like guys that have had legitimate offers, in-state guys who have had legitimate offers and chose not to go to Ohio State, that list is pretty short. Um, and in some cases, like in the case of like uh, Devontae Smith last year, I don't think that was Ohio State's decision. I think that was Devontae Smith's decision to to not go there. It wasn't like – I don't think they like ran him off. Um, I think he just chose to go to Alabama and, and kind of change his mind. But like in the last four years, it's like Blake Miller in this class went to Clemson, I think was kind of surprising. Um, 2021, 20, I don't know if – Devontae Smith and Lorenzo Styles, but, like, they were already stacked at receiver. 2020, I don't think there were really any. Like, DeMonte De Trianum and Jaheim Thomas, I don't think were guys that Ohio State was ever really going to take. They weren't Even takes, though they had listed believe. Ohio State offers. Um, so, it, it's rare. Like, I, I think and after that you have to go back to, like, Jackson Carmen. I think. Um, so, we're not talking about, like, Ohio State is losing battles in Ohio. That's not the case. But it's when they pick and choose their spots and, and decide to pass on very good football players because they have – you know, in a lot of cases, better football players coming from different parts of the state, how that impacts the rest of, of the world around Ohio State. And this feels to me a little bit like, because it was a deal, you were uh, more familiar with Ohio State back then than I was, but like the deal when like Tressel showed up was that Trestle, Trestle killed Michigan, not only because he beat Michigan, but he started recruiting all the Ohio players who helped make Michigan good, right? Right. That's like the whole thing of, of everybody who says put a fence around
0: your state, but Jim Trestle put a fence around Ohio. And I don't know if it was only Trestle uh, also starting to beat them consistently had created um, a bigger barrier. But I think Urban Meyer is the one that made them stop trying. Like Jim Tressel took – I think I did the math, and this they're not real numbers because I don't remember the exact numbers, but I think Trestle took on average – 13 players a year out of the state of Ohio, and then Urban was down to, like, six and a half. Mm-hmm. So, like, it completely changed when Urban got here from the amount that they took, but also the combination of not trying to get the 7 through 13 that would have gone to Ohio State of Trestle or were still here was an Urban thing. Because, like, Michigan's, like... Pushed Ohio State for Zach Harrison, but how many recruitments off the top of your head right now can you even remember Michigan being a part of for a top-level Ohio player since you started covering them?
1: The only other one that comes to mind is is Nolan Rumler from Hoban, but that kid was like born with a Michigan hat on his head, so I don't know if that counts.
0: Yeah, I mean, every one counts. That's the one thing, too, that I think is people always make excuses of, like, well, this has happened. It's just like geography and results are the only thing I care about. So, of course, that counts. It's an in-state player that Ohio – that that Ohio State would have taken that went to Michigan. But also the circumstance of that recruitment, of course, is important. And, you know, the fact that he was a Michigan man from the day he was born obviously played a part in that. But Ohio State uses that same thing to their advantage all the time because most of the players that they take had Ohio State hats on. Um, And if you just, like, look right now at the 2022 class, Ohio State has commitments from the top three players in Ohio. And they're all top 115 national players. And the only one that's in the top 150 that they're not going to end up with, probably, is Saunders. And that's because he's a wide receiver, and Ohio State's got Caleb Burton locked up. And I think that they took Saunders. I think yeah. Saunders actually committed to Penn State first. Uh, but I think the writing was on the wall that Ohio State was pretty stacked at receiver coming into this class. And the fact that they just got one of the top players in the state of Arizona in Grays to go and then – Also have Burton. It's just like the only player in the top 150 in Ohio that they're not going to land is the player that they have the deepest position at. So, you know, they're not, like you said, missing out on guys. The question is, what do you think is a reasonable number for Ohio State to take every year? And I think that Ohio State can't concern itself with the fallout for going national. I think they only can concern themselves with getting the best players nationally. They also can't concern themselves with what it looks like optically because you can't just take the number 10 player in the country, which is defensive end Trey Bixby, who's committed to Minnesota, who's a really good football player, number 257 nationally, is a really good recruit. But Ohio State can't just take that kid because he's from Ohio. Like, I think that is the wrong thing to do. So, like, the the follow-up question to what we're talking about here is what should Ohio State do? I think Ohio State should do what they're doing. And I think that they just live with the result of it because you can't just like default on on prospects because they live in Ohio to keep them away from Michigan and Penn State while also passing on the players that you can get from Texas, California, and Seattle. I mean, they, they have to recruit at a certain level to beat Alabama, and that's the level they're recruiting at, and that's the concern. And as much as they play Penn State and Michigan and those teams are actually rivals every single year, Ohio State's new rivals are Alabama and Clemson. And they have to recruit to beat them. They don't recruit to prevent Michigan and Penn State from being a little bit better than they otherwise would because there's five or six players in the state of Ohio that now are going there that wouldn't have gone there if Trussell were the coach.
1: I agree with all that. I think that's right. I, I don't. I think what they're doing right now is is right. And the idea, like they, I think there is a fence around Ohio, but like every now and then they're just okay with like sort of taking their eyes off the door and like people can come in, but like it's around it's around the places it needs to be around if that if that's if that makes sense it's not around maybe the entire state but it, but they have it they have it set up where it needs to be set up um but i do wonder and it, it's too early to say this is a trend right like it's like this this is the idea like Penn state's coming in and taking two top 10 players in the state and like one of them's a quarterback who's really good um is a little different than, than it's been in the past couple of years because like when jackson Carmen goes to Clemson I guess you're pissed off that he goes to Clemson But you're not going to see him until the end of the year, and and maybe that's a bad example because they play Clemson in the playoff every year, but um, I don't know. The idea that these programs that you're going to see year after year, the programs you have to beat to get to the Big Ten Championship and in turn to get to the college football playoff like now might be benefiting from the talent in your state in a more significant way than they have been in the past – I think I agree that you kind of just live with that, especially when you're recruiting so well elsewhere. But I do wonder if the idea of like having to play defense at all like enters the, the thought process. How do you play defense by recruiting kids you don't want to take in order to
0: make it harder for the other programs? Because eventually the, the, ch- the, yeah.
1: Happens. Like I think, I think like Drew, Drew Aller is not a good example because he plays the most important position. And you just got to like, obviously, you, like you pick your guy, their guy's Quinn Ewers, you go get Quinn Ewers. But let's like take, and I don't. I, I'm just like making this up because I don't actually know the intricacies of this, this this recruitment. But how much of a difference is there between Caden Saunders and Keon Grays? That's a good point. I don't know. Like, that's, if there's that's a marginal
0: kind of the difference, I think you always err towards home. But the idea yeah. that Ohio State went out and got the kid from Phoenix is a clear statement that they believe that grays is much better yeah because if he's not then that's a mistake because penn state wouldn't have gotten grays and it's like if you're going to end up with one and penn state's going to end up with one you end up with the one that penn state was going to take from your state and let them go find somebody else but caden saunders is a top 130 national player i mean that's as good as you're going to get at the receiver position if you're penn state and the fact that that person was available to you because Ohio State's head was in Seattle is a huge bonus for Penn State. Especially coming off a year where they struggled to recruit their in-state talent, to go into Ohio and get a top 140 national player is a huge get. And Aller is going to be a huge get. And I don't know when you mean, is this becoming a trend? Is it becoming a trend with Penn State specifically? Or is it becoming a trend where the door is kind of creaked open? Because the trend of the door being creaked open is absolutely a trend. Like the way that Ohio State's recruiting right now isn't going to come to an end anytime soon. And I think that for as deep uh, of a state as Ohio is for elite level talent, it's not Georgia. It's not California. It's not Florida. And it's not Texas. Like when you're talking about top 12 or 12 players in the top 300, that's a really solid state. But when you're recruiting at Ohio State's level, there's only three or four, maybe five, six at most – kids a year in the state of Ohio that are can't miss, no doubt about it, Buckeye takes. And they're taking all of them. They're taking the guys that they want. Now, the thing that would be most concerning is national recruiting uh, over the course of a five-year period makes their inroads at Ohio high schools and with Ohio prospects weaker in five, seven, ten years. Then I think you have a discussion of, Everything that they're recruiting from a national perspective is now hurting them to some degree in Ohio. Like if a Zach Harrison goes to Michigan or a C.J. Hicks ends up at Penn State, and the reason why is because Ohio State spent less time in Dayton and more time in Phoenix, then I think you have to like rejigger that. But right now, Ohio State is still taking the core of what they want out of Ohio. They're taking the, you know, in you know nachos, where, you know, nachos have a bunch of chips and there's a bunch of cheese. But every now and then there's like five, six, seven chips in the middle of the nachos that has the best bite where you pull it out and it's got all the meat and all the onions. and Yeah, all it's, got
1: the, it's got the best coverage. It's called yeah. the
0: nucleus yeah. chip with the best coverage. Yeah. <laughs> Ohio State is taking all the nucleus chips out of Ohio. Now, this doesn't mean that the chips on the edge that have cheese on them aren't good or can not turn <laughs> out to be a great bite. You get what I'm saying, but if they start losing the nucleus chip because they're out in the fringes trying to find somebody's nucleus chip on another plate, then you have a problem. But right now, you just kind of are like, we're going to recruit the best players nationally, and even if Penn State gets Drew Aller, I called him Aller for the first half of the podcast. Is it Aller? You met him.
1: It's Aller, but it's fine. He doesn't listen. Okay. Um
0: Or they get Caden Saunders and they're better because of it. You just have to live with that because you have to trust that your national recruiting strategy is going to field a better team when you play them. Now, it might be a tougher game and it might be harder because they have Ohio prospects on their roster. But Ohio State's recruiting at such a level right now that this shouldn't be the difference. Now, the one thing that I will say is the difference is a quarterback. If Penn State gets a stud and this guy turns out to be legitimately one of the best quarterbacks in college football, then you have a problem, but like a player like Caden Saunders isn't going to be the difference between Penn State winning or losing at Ohio State when they've got six top five receivers on their roster. You know, yeah. And like if you look at Penn State's class in general, they are off to a tremendous start. They've got eight commitments. Like I said, uh, number six nationally currently. I think more so because of the amount of commitments than than the quality of the commitment. And I think they've got five or six top two hundred players. But if you look at Ohio State's class, they've got five or six top fifty players. So like there's still a major gap between what Penn State is doing and what Ohio State is doing, but Penn State's class is certainly benefiting from Ohio State's strategy.
1: Yeah, and that I think that's it's just sort of what I'm wondering about. Like I don't I don't think it's any kind of major red flag issue, but you're you're right in the idea that the door has kind of always been open for teams to do this. It's just that, like, who's walking through the door now is a little different. Like, when it's Kentucky, great man. Go, that's good. Good for Kentucky. That's smart recruiting on their part. Cincinnati, good job, Luke Fickle. Um, even to a lesser extent, like Michigan State, I think Michigan State benefited from, from Urban's change in recruiting strategy in the beginning of his tenure, too. Uh, like, Penn State just feels a little different to me because Penn State can not only come in and do this, but it can go, I think, more national than a lot of these other programs in the Big Ten. Um, and it would just – like it's not – I'm not worried about it. I'm, like, interested to see where it goes. And, like, if, if Penn State is coming through the door now to get some of these guys, and if Michigan ever decides it wants to walk back through the door, um, I think that becomes a, a, an interesting conversation as well.
0: I mean, it's an interesting point, Bill, because Penn State is, like, what, three or four years removed from signing the number six overall class in college football and landing five-star prospects like Micah Parsons. And then that team – has won the Big Ten. So, like, Penn State isn't just a Michigan State that's going to be a thorn in your side every now and then. It's going to be a team that, if they put it together nationally and in their own state, on top of what you bring out of Ohio State, like that's just a sprinkle on the top of the the cupcake. Yeah, and And they're the team
1: in the Big Ten that's playing you the best, like, most consistently over the last four or five years.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, I don't want to act like the fact that it's Penn State isn't a problem. Like, Penn State – is, a, is the hardest team for Ohio State to beat in the Big Ten. And it's part of the reason why I'm screaming about Michigan on Twitter, on podcasts, and in my stories every week. Because it's just like, why is Caden Saunders not going to Michigan? Because Caden Saunders used to be the guy that would go to Michigan and go mm. win the Heisman there. you know. And it's just like Penn State is recognizing what Michigan should have already been on top of, which is a completely different discussion. Because for Ohio State, it's one half dozen to the other. If they're going to Penn State or Michigan, they're still going to one of those two schools. But – the opportunity to do this, this isn't new in 2022. This has been going on for seven, eight years now. And as Ohio because I think you can make the argument, it might be a good story for you to look this up, but is Ohio State more national now than they were when Urban was the coach?
1: Mm, I have to look at the numbers. It feels like it, right? It feels like it to me.
0: I mean, it feels like they've taken a step forward even. Like our number one thing on these podcasts and our stories and everything when Ryan Day took over was can Ryan Day – potentially match or come close to matching what Urban Meyer did from a recruiting standpoint and he's outdoing it which is insane.
1: So yeah, he by is doing
0: it. It's national, you know, it's nationally done.
1: Yeah. I think he is I think he is outdoing it. I, I they feel more like are more national, but I also feel like they are recruiting Ohio differently like at the same time because like you you made the point like they kind of always been selective and I think they're as selective as they've ever been in the state of Ohio. But I do think that this staff has done a better job of identifying those guys earlier and offering them earlier. Um, and I think a good example of that like might've been what happened this week. Cause it was, it was funny. I was looking at these class of 22 rankings and it was like, well, Ohio state has uh, four guys out of the top 10 and, uh, they're probably not going to get anyone else, and the only guy that was kind of laying out, lying out there was uh, Emil Wagner, the offensive lineman from Wayne, who hadn't gotten an Ohio State offer yet, and like the next day he got an offer. Um, and I do think that in the past, he'd be a guy that Ohio State would wait to have come camp to offer, and maybe they've offered now because they think they're not going to have camps this summer. Um, but I think that that offer for him, who's who's a kid who certainly I think if you watch him is is good enough and seems to have the athletic upside to one day be a starter at Ohio State, is worthy of an offer. Um, but I think that that's like a, a it's a like, kind of like a borderline wait till they're a senior, watch a few games offer. I think in the past for at least under Urban Meyer and now like he has an offer in hand already from Ohio State. I think that's a yeah. little different with Ryan Day and Urban.
0: I also wonder too, like and you touched on it, but how much. Uncertainty regarding what camps could or might look like in the summer has an impact on that, too. Yeah, so, it, might have had, it might have had a big impact, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know a lot of times, too, Ohio State, um, and, I, and I talked about this with Mitch Sherman, our Nebraska writer, on the phone last week, but the idea of these non-committable offers, which I think is an interesting topic, programs from out-of-state can throw offers at anybody they want, and if they try to commit and don't get them, they can burn that bridge because of the geography, they don't have to walk back in that high school again. And what you're seeing now are these non-committable offers being thrown out and not just from low tier programs, like real non-committable offers from real programs. And when they come in, it puts pressure on the in-state school to have to respond to that because the kids don't understand that it's not committable. And Ohio State has been in a position where they're fortunate enough where they don't have to deal with it because their their offers come on their time. And with Ohio kids, it usually doesn't matter. Uh, the longer you wait with an Ohio kid, sometimes the more accomplished they feel when they get it. So it's completely different than it is. But a school like Nebraska, who is trying to build something and to convince Nebraska prospects that it's still Nebraska, when Iowa State offers first or Iowa offers first, they have to react to that. And a lot of times, uh, those offers aren't even committable, and then Nebraska ends up offering an, a prospect, and when Nebraska does it, it's committable. And like that's a very interesting dynamic of what's going on, and I, I go off the tangent here a little bit, be, be what you said, because Ohio State now, in a world where they're not able to evaluate the way that they feel comfortable with in-state, might have to be more reactionary than they ever had been in the past in their own state because they don't know if they'll actually get the opportunity to evaluate them. And that could lead to more misses than we're accustomed to Ohio State having if they feel like in this weird corona time that they have to react to those things when in the past they haven't.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. And that, that sort of folds in with with the other thought I had on, on all of this, um, the idea of – I don't know if it's misevaluations, but we're about to enter the one-time transfer world like, like – Uh, it sounds like in April they're going to vote to give everybody a waiver to to transfer freely this year, and then I think the one-time transfer rule probably becomes law next year. And it's going to be harder for everybody to keep their rosters intact. And I think it's sound logic to think that kids who go to the home state school might have a better chance of staying at that home state school, even if they're not playing earlier than a kid from out of state would. So it's a long way of me getting to, do you think that this strategy, Ohio State strategy in the state changes at all once we get into the one-time transfer role. like what would what would have to change? Like if they just they recruit a class in twenty twenty three that has I don't know five or six kids in Ohio. Ohio's pretty good that year, and then the other ten to fifteen kids in that class who are from Texas, California, wherever, like. Five or six of those guys decide after their freshman to transfer because they didn't play as much as they thought they wanted to play. They they don't see a path to playing time at Ohio State because Ohio State's loaded with players. And then in the next cycle, does Ohio State say to themselves, "Like, well, maybe we should have taken that three-star linebacker from Kettering Alter instead of that low four-star linebacker from Georgia who just left?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like the same thing that we discussed about how important is it to have Ohio blood on your roster in the rivalry and in – you know those types of players that come in and only care about being buckeyes and don't care what it looks like because they're buckeyes and have achieved a lifelong goal of playing for Ohio State. Yeah. And I think like that's kind of the same thing. Um but now they and, can
1: leave more easily.
0: No, I know, but I think yeah. that that means Ohio State will have more spots to recruit nationally with. You know, I, you know that that's the thing that I mean we we talked about this last week uh with the quarterback discussion, didn't we? about will Ohio State alter the way that it takes quarterbacks based on the potential transfer or how they'll pick Mm -hmm. their quarterback based on potential transfers. And you said, Ryan Day, you don't think that Ryan Day is going to take much uh, stock in that because the only thing that he's concerned with is the best players playing. And I think that I agree with that the more I think about it. And I think that that attitude is all fitting. I don't think that attitude is... One one position group, we're going to worry about it, and, well, now we're going to recruit worse players because we don't want the good ones to transfer too fast because if the good ones transfer too fast, then let's go get other good ones. And I think that that's going to be the philosophy. I don't see Ohio State stopping their pursuit of the top 75 offensive tackle from Southeast Texas because they're afraid that he might transfer than the two number 275 offensive tackle in Dayton because he might not transfer as easily. You know, and also Ohio kids transfer too. You know, and I think like the idea of not playing would probably be even a bigger problem for the lower rated players because they have a further way to go to play. (laughs) You know, so it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy too. So, you know, no, I don't. I, I don't know. I think the only thing that could change Ohio State's recruiting strategy is A, if they're no longer successful in getting the players that they're recruiting and it becomes a waste of time, which I don't see why that would happen outside of something terrible happening like Ryan Day leaving or NCAA. I mean, I don't know what else you'd have to come up with for that to happen. Um, And B, if in five or 10 years, the data shows it's driving a wedge between Ohio state and the top top players in Ohio, which I also don't see changing because just because the offers are becoming more scarce doesn't mean the dream to play there is changing for the players who are trying to play there. So, you know, I, I think that there are, a lot of positives through recruiting nationally i mean probably 95 percent positives but the negatives are that indirectly you're helping helping strengthen some of the teams you have to beat every year and will it become a point where they're too strong and they beat you because of it or is it just a tougher game and if it becomes to a point where penn state is beating ohio state because of valor then all of a sudden you might have to like rethink about that but the idea is that Ohio State will beat Penn State when Aller plays a huge game because Quinn Ewers is going to be the next Vince Young. Like, you know, that's. And I use Vince Young as a comparison because of where they're from, not because of how they play. But that's. Uh, I think that they're better, but so are we. Is type of the mentality that I think they probably have.
2: You ready? Showtime on May third. Summer starts with the Fall Guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. What's what the poster said? See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? because no. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Yeah,
1: I think I think that's right, and I, I don't I don't envision it changing because the other part of it is too. It's like if. If they enter a scenario where the the one time transfers in effect and some of the na- young fresh young national blue chip prospects they recruit decide they want to leave after a year or two and they end up with holes in the roster, like guess what they're going to do? They're just going to go find they someone get in the transfer portal to, to, to fill that hole on the roster. Yeah. It's not one way tickets, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, they're not. They're definitely not one way tickets. So I think I think they'll be okay. Um, okay, do you want to You know move the thing on?
0: too, Landis? Before we move on, is and I think that people like our podcast or the people who do like our podcast like it because we're realists about things. And we try our best to try to poke holes or to find problems or things to think about that aren't just like, oh, I mean, there's a lot of podcasts out there where every episode is Ohio State's perfect. Like, and if that's what you want, go go listen to it. Go. Bucks. And a lot of times it's true because Ohio State's really, really good in this specific instance. I think I'm pretty close to saying that Ohio State's perfect. (laughs) And when you're talking about national recruiting, because, come on. I mean, how, like, if you decided, like, this is a good question, Landis. If you could fix one thing about Ohio State's recruiting, what would you fix? Um,
1: Ooh, I don't know. Is there something that jumps out? I I don't think they recruit uh, offensive tackles well enough. That's like a weird thing, maybe. I don't know. But other than that, like, it's the only thing I can think of.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I had a feeling you were going to say that. Uh, yeah, out of like state, legit. Go. You want to get the Quinn Ewers of offensive tackles.
1: Yeah, I want – I want. I think projects are good. I want some projects on my team. I don't want them all to be projects. I want, you know, I want, yeah, the Quinn Ewers of tackles to show up here every I once mean, I mean, they them.
0: have two really, really good ones that are like...
1: – Yeah. Oh, you mean no, they do. Out of state. Two from out of state that are really good. No, no, you meant out of
0: state. Like I, I meant Aaron out Johnson of state. like Junior Paris Johnson.
1: Like, yeah, Paris Johnson might be Orlando Pace, but yeah, I'm, I'm talking. I'm talking. Go out of state and win. Win some more J. of these for J C Latham for um who's the kid that just went to Clemson? Um Tristan Lay like those kind of guys. Yeah.
0: yeah. Okay. Well, you found one, but I my answer was <laughs> going to be I don't really know what the answer to that question would be. And not that yours is wrong, but like nothing Well, no, because, out but,
1: but the answer, but even the answer to my thing is like, we got Paris Johnson. What the hell are you talking about? It's <laughs> so like, if it was yeah. just like a fine answer.
0: <laughs> so, but also, when we're talking about recruiting philosophy and strategy, it's like, what needs to change? Well, the answer here is freaking nothing because it's great. But it is also important to shed light on the consequences of being perfect because being perfect doesn't mean that everything's perfect. Being perfect means that Penn State just got a little bit better. And, you know, what that manifests into in three years from now, I guess we'll see. But in terms of how I would alter my recruiting strategy or change to play defense, I think Ohio State dictates what they do. I don't think it's the reverse.
1: As you and I both know, being perfect is not easy.
0: I know. Trust me, I know.
1: Let's, uh, Let's switch gears here a little bit. Get to a question that was submitted to our email account. Again, 426AB at gmail.com. And while I'm plugging things, subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com. This question comes from Joshua D. It's a little long, so bear with me. He writes, no matter who wins the QB battle, there's going to be a viable alternative behind him. While some may think this is a good thing, I think it's dangerous. I'm not a fan of quarterback competitions in the first place. As I think, rather than reveal anything meaningful, they inherently leave the team divided. And the winner of this battle will be looking over his shoulder for sure. A couple of interceptions and the murmurs for the backup will start. Quarterbacks need to play with a free mind and not be worrying that a mistake will get them yanked. Not to mention that the schedule presents a difficult start for a first-time quarterback with a Big Ten road game at Minnesota, followed by a highly ranked Oregon team. All the talent in the quarterback room is, is a new phenomenon for Ohio State. The viable alternative situation has not presented itself much over the years, but the last time it did was with JT and Cardale and it went poorly. Am I overthinking this? And I also want to give a shout out to um Aaron, who also sent in an email this week asking um basically the exact same thing. So and I don't think they're alone in this thinking, but I have to say it's not something I thought about. But I will say like before we dive into that idea, which I think is a is a great question, um just going off the conversation we have for 30 minutes, do we think that there will be a viable alternative to the to the starting quarterback in the fall? Yeah, we. I think so too. I think all three guys are going to be here in the fall.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's all about chess and not checkers, right? So, I mean, the idea of how you handle this battle has to take into account how it's going to impact the fallout of that decision. And that's kind of what we were talking about last week a little bit with, do you think that McCord can start from day one? And just like, if McCord starts, the answer to that question might be no. And I think that's a really scary, dangerous thing.
1: Um, but Yeah, but I don't I'll, think, like, if McCord starts against Minnesota, like, I don't think C.J. Stroud on a Thursday, I don't think C.J. Stroud and Jack Miller are going to, like, transfer on Friday.
0: No, I know. So you have to, like, put yourself in a position where it's unclear to the players on the roster who's winning for as long as possible. And, like, just because he starts on Thursday against Minnesota doesn't mean that he hasn't been taking first-team reps the entire camp. You know, and obviously, when you're having a quarterback battle, that's not what's going to happen. It's going to take at least two weeks to, like, let everybody play with the ones to try to figure that out. Um, but, yeah, the idea of, our, is Ohio State's quarterback depth in trouble right now when every quarterback on the team has yet to throw a touchdown pass at the college level, I think is a little premature. But what that means for the following year, I think it's possible, like, what – more so, what I think is more interesting, Bill, isn't what the team looks like in twenty twenty one. What is Ohio State's quarterback depth chart in twenty twenty two?
1: Yeah, but that's getting off this question a little bit. Let's let's stay let's stay on this because I do think it's it is not a position that Ohio State has found itself in often over the last few years. I think the last time it was legitimately in this position was twenty fifteen. I think you can make the case that it was it was that way in twenty seventeen, but. I don't think anyone ever actually thought that Urban Meyer was going to bench JT Barrett for Dwayne Haskins. Like, people wanted yeah. it to happen, but I don't think those dynamics were playing out, like, within the building.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but so, like, the reason why I brought up 2022 isn't to go off into that direction and talk about 2022. It's, to me, that's the real question of depth. So, to go back to this question, though, is... Is C.J. Stroud going to play poorly because he's so afraid that one of the other two players is going to play if he messes up? I think is an interesting dynamic. And the other dynamic, too, isn't just the mental uh, stability when it comes to, like, confidence. It's how they're used. Like, if Ryan Day comes out in the Oregon game and C.J. Stroud and, and Kyle McCord both play, then you're down that path. So it's like, can you make the decision and can you stick with the decision? I think is the question here and it's just like Ohio State made the decision in 2015 and then never stuck with it and went 19 different directions that entire season before they ultimately settled on one of them and even then he wasn't the quarterback the entire season you had to think as somebody else playing quarterback it didn't matter if it was week one or week 10 it was a thing all year red zone quarterback all the funny stuff that we joke about now like remember that year we were writing stories in week four about JT Barrett coming in in the red zone
1: yeah, and it also I was just going to say that I'm not I'm not totally sure about like Ryan Day's experience with this because like he was here in 17 but it wasn't his decision. Like it was Urban's decision. Um but he does have he does have experience, I guess, maybe trying to like manage the psyche of a starter when there's a capable backup behind him. So it's not totally new territory for him. When I thought maybe it would have been.
0: You mean like with Burrow and Haskins?
1: Well, no, because when once Haskins was starting, Burrow was gone. Yeah, um, right. So what no, you, no, I mean with JT. I mean with JT and Haskins in, in uh, twenty seventeen. Yeah, and that was and to a lesser extent, Haskins with Tate Martell in twenty eighteen when they started tossing into the Tate Martell red zone quarterback stuff. Like, I don't yeah. know. Was Dwayne Haskins looking over his shoulder? Like I don't. Tate's there. He's lurking. I don't know. I mean, it's but do good. you
0: actually find this to be a concern, though?
1: Um, I'm not concerned about it. I think it is an interesting topic to bring up because. I'm going to assume that whoever wins this quarterback battle is not going to run away with it because all these guys seem pretty good. So, like, in Ryan Day's mind, he will go into the fall knowing that all three of these guys are pretty similarly talented. Um, So, if whoever the starter is does struggle, maybe not so much against Minnesota, but in the second game against Oregon, because Oregon's going to have a pretty good defense and a good pass rush, like... What ha- What happens from there? Is it, like, open competition every week? Like, I don't know. Do you open it back up because, you know, you have other guys who are viable? Like, I think you start getting yourself you, – you can very quickly get yourself into some hairy situations when you have more than one viable option at quarterback.
0: When Ohio State gets into the season, could it win a Big Ten championship with an open quarterback? Uh, open quarterback race every week? Like – do you Are you the subscriber of you have to make that decision in fall camp and stick with it good and bad? Or are you the type of person that says, hey, we need to revisit this if things aren't going well? Because it's like, honestly, even the best quarterback in Ohio State history, who I think is Justin Fields, played his worst game in the Big Ten championship game. But like if that would have happened in week two, nobody would have been like, oh my God, Justin Fields sucks. We need to replace him. And it's like that was in what was that game 17 of his starting career at Ohio State or something like that so the hardest part to me too is what's the difference between bad game and bad player or bad game and better player on the bench and that's when things get really hairy because you don't really know what you're dealing with because really good players have bad games and really good players don't excel when the game plans off and against Oregon, that's the same type of team that can exploit Ohio State's weaknesses if and when they don't make the game plan the correct way, the way they didn't against Northwestern. So, you know, I personally think you need to pick the best one, and that guy plays through thick and thin. And if you lose, then you lose. But I don't think there should be a – if there's stories about Ohio State, who's starting a quarterback in week seven of Ohio State season, I think that's a problem
1: no matter who it is or how it, how it happens. I'm also on team stick with your guy through thick and thin. And I I guess it kind of happened to some extent in 2014, right? Like JT was awful against Virginia tech. He wasn't particularly good against Navy. He was fine against Navy. He was pretty bad against Virginia tech. Now who was JT's backup in 14 Cardell Jones. I'm such an idiot. (laughs) <laughs> but it's it's a little different because like so i was thinking yeah I was thinking we now exactly. like hold like cardale is like up on some pedestal somewhere and he should be a guy won a national title going but into the, the year He was, but at that time yeah. yeah at that time like urban meyer was like who the hell is this guy um is it the guy who tweets um so like it's not it's not quite the same scenario um but even in that case they had a guy that they could try if they wanted to back then and it's they, like and if kyle mccord G2. was on the roster in 14 though would he have started week three well, that's what I'm saying. Like, if, yeah. yeah, if it was, if, 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 if what happened in week, I mean, I guess it happened in 2017, too, because JT was pretty bad against Oklahoma, <laughs> but I was going to say, like, if when well, he if was already happened,
0: established in a national championship winner at that point. If
1: Dwayne Haskins was behind JT Barrett in 2014 after the Virginia Tech game, what might he have played? Because JT is not established yet. Like, he's not JT yet. Dwayne is a young, hot shot behind him that everyone knows is good, and, like, If week two, the starter, whoever it is, struggles against Oregon, he will not have been established yet, and whoever is behind him is going to be some young hotshot kid that everybody knows is good.
0: Yeah, what's crazy, too, is that like JT had maybe the worst game of an Ohio State quarterback in the last 10 years against Virginia Tech and then went on to have maybe the best statistical season. Not statistical, but best, most impressive season. To this day, I still wake up in the middle of the night wondering how he scored on that touchdown run in Minneapolis that year.
1: Yeah, it happened in slow motion.
0: (laughs) Uh yeah, you no, I think it's a really good question. And like, there's like, how do you really answer it? It's just other than a bunch of hypothetical questions. Yeah, I mean, that's all it is. But, yeah, it's, but the idea of... I guess, I of, guess the,
1: the crux of it is like, do you do you trust Ryan Day to manage it the right way? And, yeah, and I, like, I, I do too, but... I also think that
0: impossible situations are hard to manage no matter how good you are at managing those situations.
1: Yeah. And I think the other piece of it too, with this is like... Ryan Day is the head coach, and obviously he works with the quarterbacks and he works with the starting quarterback. But the guy who's like going to actually have to manage this day to day if Ohio State does find himself in this position is, is a fairly unproven <laughs> position coach, <laughs> which is like I don't know,
0: tough spot. I think that Ryan Day is going to be the one handling this. Good the luck, most. Corey Dennis. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, and I, Corey Dennis, um, recruited these guys or in part recruited these guys and is a really respected person in the program. So it's not trying to act like he's incapable of managing the position, but in his first real go around or second go around, that's a really tough situation to be in. But when your head coach is the quarterback guru, then I think it kind of takes the pressure off there a little yeah, bit. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think that's right. So I, I the, the, the closing of Josh's question was, am I overthinking this? And and I don't think you are. I think it's it's a totally, perfectly relevant thing to have in the back of your mind. But I wouldn't go worrying about it right now in, in, March. in March. Yeah. <laughs> but he, But he's right, though.
0: I mean, the greatest – The most talented team, maybe, on paper in Ohio State history completely unraveled because of this. And those are players that came back after winning a national title. Now we're talking about players who have never played. So I think that even though this is what the most densely contested quarterback battle since JT uh, Cardale 2015, but also this is even more intense because the players who are all evenly matched also all have never played. Because it's like in 2015, even if you made the wrong decision, you still made the right one because they both were so clearly productive. Like now you're making it based on theory of who you think might be most productive. And I think that's a little bit more complicated than picking which one you think you're going to be better with.
1: Yeah. Can't wait until like the... I don't know. Sixth game of the season, and let's we'll just say CJ Stroud's a starter, and he like makes a bad pick, and maybe the game's closer than it should be, and then people start talking about that time that Nick Saban pulled Jalen Hurts for a Because be that's going to happen. I do that. <laughs> yeah, what about, do. Uh, yeah. What about what uh, about Tate Martell eyeball emoji tweets? Oh man, now I got excited. The Tate Martell sub tweets during Ohio State season if the quarterbacks don't play well, it's going to be spicy. Can't wait. All right. Um, good question from Josh. Yeah, really good, uh, and and maybe and something yeah. something uh, maybe worth taking a peek at again when we get closer to the season.
0: That's a, probably a story that you should write. Like you should just take that question and make it your nut graph and write it like in August. Yeah, I no, I want really I, well. I
1: want to I want it. It'd be like a really interesting thing, like to dive in with Ryan Day on because I don't know how many times in his career he said to manage it, like manage what's manage something that's going to look quite like this. I think twenty seventeen is is somewhat similar. Um, but not totally the same thing because of how established JT Barrett was. Um, and prior to that, I have no idea if he has any kind of experience with this in, in his coaching career. So I think it will be interesting to talk about. Okay. We'll wrap up there. Thank you, uh, Josh, for that uh, question to the email. Again, if you have thoughts, comments, complaints, questions, mostly questions, hit the email 426 with a and B, sorry, it's 426 AB at gmail.com the podcast you're listening to is four to six with a and b if you want to scrap to the athletic you can go to theathletic.com slash four six to get signed up and read our stories as we continue moving closer to spring practice which is still set to start on march 19th plenty more to discuss leading up to that certainly plenty to discuss once we get into the swing of spring practice so stick with us and we'll talk to you guys next week